Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, I have a perfect guest for today, for today's times, <laughs> because um, if I, when I look at the news, um, you know, sometimes, oftentimes I will have something that is particularly timely in regard to the news, something going on. I mean, like last week I talked about the Thai boys in the cave, but um, I am so tired of clicking on Google News in the morning and um, having the same obnoxious things come up, just things that any way, any, all different twists, <laughs> it's the same story basically, but it's all different twists on how terrible our president is, which um, I don't agree with. But in any case, um, it it's excludes, you know, news, other kinds of news. And um, it is just getting all of the, the um, divisiveness and so on, as I've talked about before on this show, the divisiveness is making us all crazy. And rather than uh, get into politics, I thought I would talk about something, uh, <laughs> something related to craziness, and that is what makes a little child decide to become a psychiatrist. And that is essentially the topic of my guest's latest book, his name is Dr. Edward Halliwell, and his book is called Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. Now, since we are all being more stressed out than ever with all this crazy news, we want to call it fake news or whatever kind of news, angry news, well, certainly whatever side you're on, you'd certainly agree it's angry news, um, we more and more people are in need of psychiatrists, whether they're going or not is another story. But I thought you might like to um, hear one psychiatrist's uh, story about he, how he decided to become a psychiatrist. So welcome to the show, Dr. Halliwell. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, let me just give you a little background on Dr. Halliwell. He is an amazingly renowned psychiatrist. He's a child and adolescent psychiatrist who specializes in ADD and ADHD. He is the author of a book called Driven to Distraction and over 20 other books, some on ADD and ADHD and some on emotional well-being in general. He is uh, the host of a podcast called Distraction, and he's the founder of the Hollowell Centers for Cognitive and Emotional Health. And these um, are located in Boston, New York, San Francisco, or Seattle. So if you live in one of those cities, <laughs> you may want to pay closer attention to what he has to say. So welcome again. Let's start you. with, um, you know, it's interesting. You've written over 20 books, which is pretty amazing. And... Um, I don't know, have any of the previous ones been biographical? No, no, this one is completely different. Uh, yeah, no, no this, is a, the, this is a memoir, and, and none, none of my others have been. All my others have, you know, have been uh, uh, books of advice, uh, and, mm -hmm. and this one was not. This one is a storybook. It's uh, stories from my childhood and then stories from my early training. It, it, it's before I got interested in ADD. And so um, 
and and in a in a way it was very freeing because I I didn't have to give advice I, I just told stories. Uh huh. <laughs> and, uh-huh. And, well, and it was. Uh, had, I'm so, go ahead. Hmm? Go well, on, I was just going to say um, how I mean you know as a psychiatrist um, myself um, I mean you know we are taught. Uh, not to uh, reveal very much about ourselves. Of course, I've been kind of letting that go as I've been doing po- <laughs> this radio show and my podcast and so on. I have various interviews. But, um, you know, the, so how did you overcome what I assume you were trained in as well, which is to not reveal anything about your childhood or your personal life? Well, I, I think that goes back to the days of psychoanalysis when, you were developing transference, and, and I think those. Right. I'm, I'm not a I'm not a psychoanalyst, and and uh, and so it, it. I think that's uh, those are bygone days, and, and unless you yeah. want to become a psychoanalyst, which I I don't want to become, and uh, although I did go through psychoanalysis myself, that was not relevant to to my practice. So so it really didn't matter if I reveal about myself or not i i do psychotherapy with people but <clears throat> it's fine for them to know about me and uh after all i'm going to know a lot about them so we're we're not <laughs> we're not playing this transference game and and furthermore you can develop transference and still know about someone so so i think that's a that's a concern that uh uh, really doesn't pertain any longer, uh, although you're quite right. It, it once did and would have been anathema. I mean, uh, a generation ago, uh, analysts would have been shocked. Oh, my goodness, he revealed something about himself. This is terrible. <laughs> you know? Right. And uh, um, you, you, you just didn't do that. But that's when most people wanted to become psychoanalysts. And now... Very few people. I have great respect for psychoanalysis, by the way. Don't don't get me wrong. It's just that was not my career path, and so revealing about myself. In fact, in in my case, uh, I very much wanted to let the world know about my background because I think it's important that we not uh, regard uh, mental illnesses with the sort of stigma and secrecy that we have, and 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 sort of a, a byproduct purpose of my writing this was uh, by implication to say, look, it's it's fine to be open about this. This is part of the human condition. I mean, any more than we could be hush-hush and secretive about tuberculosis or heart disease, why should, be, why should I be secretive about the fact that my dad had bipolar disorder or that there was alcoholism in, in my family? Why, why, do we, why do we tiptoe around that? And and you know when we tiptoe around it, we 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 only drive it further underground, which makes it all the more pernicious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, all right. Well, let's start with. I mean, you know, of course, there's besides the psychoanalyst idea. Um, you know that taboo. Um, there is, of course, always the risk, even if people aren't psychoanalysts, uh, to uh, to think, well, if your father was a manic was manic depressive maybe you um are really manic depressive and that's going to come out you never you didn't worry about that kind of thing well sure the, someone coming to see me could wonder about that and they can come in and see whether i am 
Come see me and then see if I'm a raving lunatic, you know. <laughs> you, you can just, a lot of people think all psychiatrists are crazy. And, you know, come and, come and check me out. And, um, so, you know, so far I'm 68 years old. I, 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 haven't, uh, I haven't proven to be psychotic yet. And uh, uh, it, the fact is it's pretty rare that someone gets to be my age. It's not likely right. that I'll go crazy, but, but I might. Who knows? <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do during the show. <laughs> I'm kidding. Okay, well, why don't we why don't we start from the beginning? Because I'm really um, eager to hear your story. Uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a question that I mean everybody is asked as a little child. What do you want to be when you grow up? And um, so, so I think this idea of how one chooses uh, to be what they are, particularly a psychiatrist. Is very fascinating. So why don't you take us back to the beginning? Well, I, I had, I did have this this very uh, uh, chaotic uh, upbringing that you know was populated by uh, crazy people and and divorces and alcoholism, and then then there was this moment, this sort of signal moment when when I heard a voice that said to me, I was about ten years old. You should become a psychiatrist, and it, it 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 was a, you know, whether you want to call it an auditory hallucination or you know, God calling me or whatever it was, it was a voice in my head saying you should become a psychiatrist, and and I I didn't know what to make of it, so I didn't make anything of it. I just went about my business and went swimming, um, and I more or less forgot about it. But obviously, I didn't completely forget about it because I ended up becoming a psychiatrist. But I, I didn't. It's not as if I decided then and there to become a psychiatrist. I just went about the rest of my uh-huh. life. But it, but it did plant a seed, and and it and it did sort of make sense that I would go into this because I, you know, I, I did, I did pretty much lose my nuclear family to mental illness. My my mother and father got divorced when I was four years old because the my. Uh, the doctors told my mother that there was no hope for my father. He was in a mental hospital, and they, the doctors told my mother that he was incurable. You know, he was manic depressive, and and uh, and she believed them. And uh, uh, after the divorce, a, a young doctor came along and and said, you know, we ought to revise this diagnosis. Uh, he he's not schizophrenic. That's what they had originally called him. And uh, let's try him on this new medication called lithium. Mm. And it was one of those miracle moments. And uh, sure enough, lithium essentially cured him. And he spent the balance of his life until he died when I was a senior in medical school in 1978 of lung cancer. He spent the rest of his life teaching public school up in New Hampshire. And so he, Mm. he was saved. But it cost me you know, my nuclear family and my two older brothers and I, and then my my mother remarried a... Uh, wait, 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 before we, go to, before we go to your stepfather. So how old were you when your father went into the mental hospital? Oh, he went in before I was born. He, he, um, he was an all-American hockey player at Harvard, dashing, handsome young man. And my mother, according to the Boston Herald, was the prettiest girl in Boston. So they, they had this storybook romance, and huh. uh, and you know he was headed for a career at Goldman Sachs, and and uh, graduated from Harvard, married my mother, had my two older brothers, 
everything looked just wonderful. And then the war came, and he was commissioned as an officer, and he, he was captain of a destroyer escort, and he went off and he fought submarines in the North Atlantic and mm-hmm. was, you know, basically a war hero. And when he came back, uh, he went crazy, became psychotic. And so he was put in the hospital and was given shock treatments. And um, uh, one weekend they let him out on a trial visit. And um, they shouldn't have because he, he was still actively psychotic. And when he got home, he, he decided he wanted to murder my mother. Oh, wow. She was very artful, and she talked him into making love instead. And huh. that's 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 where I came from. Um, oh my! Sort of an interesting beginning for a psychiatrist, you know. Yes. Wow. <laughs> um, and so, so, how old was he then? Well, he would have been. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, well, I in mean, his late twenties. Hmm. And yeah. and so and so. And how old was he when he got when they put the when he tried, they gave him lithium and he got out. He would have been in his early thirties. Oh, oh! So it was relatively young, relatively yeah. short um, yeah. this yeah. time. I mean, you know, it's interesting because do you think? Um, well, I mean, presumably he really did have manic depressive illness because. But I was going to say, like today, if that happened, they might have considered the diagnosis of uh, PTSD. Yeah, it wasn't that, because he did have one episode when I was in college uh, uh, when he went off his lithium and he became psychotic. I visited him at the VA hospital. I, I talked uh-huh. about it in the book when when we went out for a walk together and he said, should I, should I hang myself? He brought out a, mm. a length of rope and, and he said, should I hang myself? And, you know, I said, uh, no, Dad, you, you shouldn't hang yourself. And... and uh, we went back into the hospital. So he had a, a manic episode, uh-huh. uh, but he got back on his lithium and and uh, and you know and didn't did not have another episode. And he realized he'd made a big mistake by going off his lithium. Uh huh. Which of course, so many people in their manic phases do. Uh, mm-hmm. The biggest problem. Um, so, in other words, so when he was put on the lithium and he got out, was he in your home before your parent? Oh, well, you said your parents got divorced when you were four. So was there ever mm-hmm. a time that he was living in your household? Uh, yes, uh, briefly. Uh, when, he, when he was, uh, uh, there was a, a brief period of time before, before the divorce that I remember them together. Um, but uh, not, not much time. And, and then, then the divorce happened and... Because your mother, mother was still, your mother was still going by thinking that he was incurable, even though he got better. Yeah. Huh, well, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's vague whether, you know, these are the mysteries that I I can't solve. Was it uh, was it was it really the advice of the doctors? Was it that she'd met this other man? Mm. And you know, it, it's. These are mysteries that I'm not really sure I want to solve because, yeah. you know, it's uh, they're they're all in heaven anyway. So uh huh, and also, um, I mean, you know, it must have been somewhat frightening for her um, 
also to, you know, she must have felt somewhat helpless to be able to help your father or to control him or, you know, especially if, especially that one time when he came home and wanted to murder her. So that must have been right. terrifying. Even though she was able to subdue him. Right. Uh, I think you're correct that what is it like to, you know, sleep next to a man who has it within him to want to, want to kill you. Right. Uh, right. And, you know, it, 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 as much as she had been able to subdue him and, and talk him into doing something else instead, do you, do you really want to be sleeping next to someone who has that capacity every night? And, right. Of course, he never did anything like that again. And uh, I knew him for the rest of my life, and, and he, was, he was always good to me. He was, he was never that close to me, but he was, he was always good to me. And, and uh, uh, he, was, he, was, he was an odd kind of person. He was a wonderful teacher. He, he taught elementary school in New Hampshire, and he was wonderfully good with it. He particularly specialized in kids who had learning problems. So he, mm. he was really good with kids who, who, who had trouble learning. But, oh, that's um, interesting. And then you became yeah. an expert in ADD and ADHD. Yeah. Now that's yeah. interesting. It is. It is. The world works in funny ways. But, okay. you know, he never really accepted my brother John, who was, who, who was gay, and he, he couldn't accept that. He was very close to my brother Ben, who went to the Naval Academy and, um, you know, made a, was a career naval officer. Uh-huh. And he was probably closest to Ben of the three of us. Huh. Well, I guess he had spent more time with him before this all happened. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, we need to take a break now. This is um, fascinating stuff, and I do want to point out that one of the things that you talk about in your book is how, you know, in your decision to become a psychiatrist, um, uh, it was because you wanted to help these people in your family uh, who right. had these mental problems. So we'll talk more about that when we come back. My guest is Dr. Edward Hollowell. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch And I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. We're talking today about what makes a little child decide to become a psychiatrist, and the little child in particular who we're talking to, now grown, uh, is Dr. Edward Hallowell, also called Ned Hallowell. And um, we were talking about, um, well, in his book, Because I Come from a Crane... Let's start that again. Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist, that is a memoir, his first memoir, and in it he talks about his crazy family and how that influenced him to become a psychiatrist. So we've been talking about his father, and now let's go to your mother. Well, you know, my mother was, uh, again, uh, things started off so wonderfully for her. She was uh, uh, grew up in Boston, and, and um, as girls, as they were called back then, uh, in the 20s and 30s, became a debutante. And she was blessed with enormous beauty and charm and uh, uh, met my father when he was an undergraduate at Harvard and they fell in love and, uh, uh, you know, dancing and cocktails and swing music and all of that. And, and, mm-hmm. and they got they got married and... Uh, uh, Alcohol was not a, a big part of it. It was, it was, you know, a, a normal, normal drinking, you could say. Um, it wasn't until after they got divorced and she met my stepfather, who at first was a wonderful man, and and really I thought it was going to be a new father for me. I'd lost my first father to divorce, and and now I got this new man who I thought was wonderful until he moved us down to Charleston, South Carolina, mm. when all of a sudden he changed and and started drinking these martinis at, at lunchtime every day and then at dinnertime every day. And, and my mother kind of joined in with him, and she became a heavy drinker right along with him. And, and it was just a, a complete transformation. And uh, I write about it in the book, the scenes that I I really shouldn't have been part of. And, and uh, from when I was about seven years old to when I was 10 years old, those four years um, of, of watching, you know, just abuse and a lot of drunkenness, it was all very sophisticated. My stepfather was a very urbane, well-spoken, literate kind of guy. And, and um, um, but he, you know, he he would get very drunk. One night, he called me down from my bedroom, and and uh, there were two other men 
in his bedroom with my mother lying naked on the bed, and they were shooting dice against her backside, using that mm. as the board to shoot the dice off of. And there was a big pile of cash on the bed, and you know I was horrified. And he said, "Oh, watch this. You might learn something." And mm. you know, and I sort of went back upstairs without being noticed, and. You know, the next day, nobody said anything because they didn't remember it. I don't think my mother huh. even knew what was going on. She was passed out. And, of course, I remembered it. And, and I didn't say anything because I would kind of given up on protesting anything. And it was that kind of event that was almost routine, just things that were wildly, you know, not what a little boy should be part of. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and so... Thankfully, my mother uh, sent me away to boarding school when I was in the fifth grade, and so I left Charleston, thank goodness, and, and uh, essentially my, my, my life was saved by these boarding schools. I went to a place called Fessenden, and then Exeter, and then Harvard, but my mother finally divorced my stepfather, but she did not divorce drinking, and she, she kept drinking for the, the rest of her life, and huh. I... I don't hold that against her. She just, it was, she couldn't find any other option to kind of get through her days. And, and she, uh, you know, once you, once you develop that uh, habit of, of, you know, the hangover in the morning and then the, the alcohol in the afternoon, it, it's a mm-hmm. hard habit to break when you, when you don't have anything else in your life to, to sort of, take the place of it and that, and that's how she lived out her day she never found another man and she was the kind of woman who was made to be with a man and mm-hmm. but with her heavy drinking men didn't really want to hang around to mm. be with her you know she had a few she had a few sort of partial romances and one time I came home from uh, boarding school and found her in bed with the hairdresser and mm-hmm. it was it became kind of kind of you know, not sordid, but not terribly, not terribly wonderful. And, and, uh, it was sad because she was a very, she was a very sweet, kind, giving sort of out of Tennessee Williams kind of woman. And, uh, I loved her very much, but I had to distance myself from her because she wanted to kind of have, she wanted to rely on me in ways that were not healthy for me. Or for her, for that matter. But um, um, I had to kind of distance myself from her if I was going to be able to, you know, go off and have a life of my own. Um, Was she still alive when you became, when you started, when you went into medical school? Oh, yes. Yep. She was alive. And when I graduated, she was alive. Uh, I don't know how aware of it she was. She was, that was one thing of... I was the opposite of a pressured kid. <laughs> My family had uh-huh. no ambition for me whatsoever. <laughs> that I, I, I could do whatever I wanted to do. There was, it was the opposite of today's, you know, kids. Where uh-huh. they're, they're, uh, you know, they, they barely knew where I went to college, let alone, you huh. know, and and with medical school and all. You know, there were there was fine that I went, but uh, there was no pressure to to go. It. The encouragement came from my cousins, who were like my siblings, really, and and so the, that was where I got the the kind of cheerleading that everyone needs, and the, and the mm-hmm. kind of. Um, uh, but my mother, you know, 
God rest her soul. She <clears throat> she she died, but she met my wife. But she would by then she was <clears throat> her brain had had not done well, and and she didn't really get to know Sue, which was too bad. Uh, and and she done, she did not live long enough to meet our children, which mm-hmm. was really too bad. Well, what I was thinking was, um, if she knew that you were becoming a psychiatrist, I mean, I'm sure you, and I guess this is part of, uh, I'm sure you tried to encourage her, uh, or I would think you tried to encourage her to get psychiatric help for her drinking. Uh, I encouraged her to quit drinking, uh, and she would deny that she had a problem. So, and, and the idea of getting psychiatric help was completely out of the question because she, you know, she said she had no problem. Uh, mm. and, and so, you know, and that's sort of the classic way it is with, with drinkers. They, you know, they denial is, is what right. they always say. And, and she would say, I can quit drinking anytime I want to. And, and she would. She would uh, go on the wagon for a couple of weeks and she'd be wonderful. And I'd say, Mom, you know, you're so great when you don't drink. Could could we extend it? And mm-hmm. she'd say, Sure, I'll extend it as long as you want me to. And I'd say, How about forever? <laughs> and you know, with, within a week or two, she'd be drinking again. And it I was, mean, but you it, know, yeah. Well, I was going to say, not so much. Maybe I'm sure you tried this, but like, not the idea you need psychiatric help because you're drinking, but you need psychiatric help because because you must be feeling lonely, for example. She it would she just wouldn't do that. Uh, it, it just it it just was the wrong generation, the wrong. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It, That's it not just, what debutantes did, right? <laughs> yeah, and then you know, if she were Jewish like you are, I assume maybe, but uh, not for an old wasp. But just uh, it's it's not what old wasps do, you know. It, it's uh, it, it's in South uh, Carolina. Was she still in South Carolina? No, no, she'd moved back up to New England. Um, oh. But, uh, you know, the first line of my book is I come from an old New England wasp family characterized by the wasp triad, alcoholism, mental illness, and politeness, you know. So, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and self-reliance was the name of the game. You know, we, yeah. we, we were supposed to, it was all about self-reliance. So uh, you, you, you just, you paddled your own canoe, and that was the deal. And uh, the yeah. idea of... If if I had told her I was going to be a psychiatrist, uh, mm-hmm. and if she'd understood that, uh, she would not have been happy with that. You know, she would it would have been fine for me to be a cardiologist or a brain surgeon, but not a psychiatrist. I actually did tell my father, and uh, he said that's a terrible idea. And uh, huh. you know, he he was very upset with me, even though he had benefited from psychiatry. You know, and and. Uh, and I said, well, too bad, Dad, I'm going to do it. And he said, well, then, if you insist on it, you damn well better be a good one. And, uh-huh. Uh, and, so, uh, so your mother never knew that you were going to be a psychiatrist? or that you? Well, she knew, quote-unquote, you know, but she was at a it, stage where knowing wasn't uh-huh. really comprehending. And, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. But, but had she known when she could comprehend... Yes. Uh, I, I don't think she would have been happy. I think she would have been much happier had I been a cardiologist or, you know, something more. You have to understand, if, if the wasps that I grew up with uh, did not look happily on psychiatry. They thought 
psychiatrists were strange and weird and you know it was it was even though most of them needed psychiatrists they they did not think happily toward them and and um mm-hmm. you know it was it was it was me because going into psychiatry was 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 just it was not what the script would read it, it really wasn't and um uh, uh you know i i did it because I was uh, following my passion, I was following my my interest, and 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 because really uh, deep down I, I wanted to save my family and other families like mine. So, mm-hmm. so I did it for for good reasons. But the 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 wasp tradition against it was out of ignorance and fear. Really, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. you know the they they would make up something else. But the the real reason was. Uh, Number one, they didn't understand it, and yeah. and number two, uh, they were afraid to look deeper. They they were afraid to look under the surface, and that's uh, the the downside of waspism is all about that. It's all about surface, all about politeness, and let's not talk about what lies underneath. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's not talk about our inherent racism. Let's not talk about our inherent uh, classism. Let's not talk about uh, why we. Uh, act in ways that are so superior and and uh, mm-hmm. you know that's that's what uh, you know and thankfully that's all been pretty much torn down now the old boston brahmin and all that do- doesn't really exist anymore uh-huh. which is which is which is good and uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, but but in my old family structure um you know psychiatry would not have been encouraged now you mentioned that um, your stepfather uh, was abusive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you didn't mention. I mean, it's it's mentioned in your materials that your stepfather was abusive. Um, did you were you referring to the incident that you told us about, or or was there real? I mean, that was oh, abusive. To my mother, that was certainly would, emotional. He, yeah, I mean, oh, I and thought he, you meant would, to you. I thought you not, meant to well. Abusive. He was emotionally abusive. He never hit me. But he was he was emotionally abusive, and, uh-huh. and he would terrorize me. There was a night he drove me around in a car, you know, at 130 miles an hour in the dark when he was drunk, and uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, he, uh-huh. he was he, he, he didn't abuse me in, uh, physically, but he was emotionally and you know and, uh, but i gave back as good as i got i mean i i i was uh, i stuck up stood up to him and in the end i really i i was really the victor um because i i called his bluff and you know at one point he called me down and told me to throw a hatchet into the wall and if i didn't hit the wall he was going to throw the hatchet at my mother's head oh and, wow you know and yeah and i and i basically knew he wouldn't do it but I threw the hatchet into the wall anyway, just in case in his drunkenness he'd, he'd throw yeah. the hatchet at my mother's head. Yeah. There's that kind of stuff. That's not what a nine-year-old boy should be doing. No. You know, and, I mean, and, you know, it was so, very sadistic. I mean, it sounds like yeah. he was just between calling you down with the sexually inappropriate right. scene for right. and and this right. kind of thing. Um, it, it seemed like he was got sadistic pleasure out of watching you squirm and... and be terrified or upset, right? And then when I when I didn't squirm, you could tell I could tell he was disappointed. But he had a terrible trauma of his own before he married my mm-hmm. mother. His his first wife, um, 
uh, one day, you know, they had two daughters of their own, and then one day his first wife came home and went into the kitchen and took a carving knife and sliced her throat and then spurting blood out of her carotid arteries walked into the living room and took a pistol and shot herself in the head. So oh she, she killed herself twice, really, using two lethal methods, first uh, first cutting her neck and then and then shooting herself in the head. So, uh, you know, wow. and, and he had, he had that to live with. And, uh, and so he, you know, I, I think part of him just went crazy. And, and I, you know, and he was not purely evil. I mean, he, I tell the story in the book of when he, when I had a temperature of 106 with measles, how he sat with me and, Put a cold washcloth on my forehead and told me stories of how he was in the war uh, as a spy, and and so he had a, he had a tender side that could uh-huh. come out, uh-huh. and uh, you know, and and so he was not a just a stick figure of evil at all, uh, but he hmm. did have a, a pretty crazy malevolent side to him, uh, and he but he did also have a, a tender side and and a, a very there's a side of him that I looked up to and respected the way he dressed, you know, the Brooks brothers and button down collars is the way I dressed mm-hmm. today. And, and mm-hmm. it's because of him, not, not my father, you know, and his interest in literature. Mm-hmm. My father didn't have any interest in literature and, and mm-hmm. I was an English major and, uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, he left Harvard. I graduated. <laughs> so I beat him. Uh-huh. <laughs> huh. So you're an interesting and, combination. Yeah, we need yeah. to take another break, unfortunately. This story is mesmerizing, and it's obviously, um, I hope you're going to get it uh, made into a movie. This has all the, I mean, God, it's like <laughs> Prince of Tides, you know, with <laughs> yeah, South Carolina yeah. and I'm yeah. Boston, and I mean, you know. Um, but we do need to take a break. My guest is Dr. Edward, a.k.a. Ned Hallowell. We're talking today about uh, what makes a little child decide to become a psychiatrist. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com 
Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with Dr. Edward Hallowell, Ned Hallowell, about his new book called Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. And it just came out, and it is amazing, um, clearly, from, from the highlights that we're getting. Um, and I wanted to ask you if you can talk about, give us some examples of, um, well, now, you said that at 10 years old, you heard a voice, and of course, I won't, <laughs> I won't take the easy way and <laughs> connect that to manic depressive illness, right? <laughs> I won't go there. Right. Um, but you heard a voice inside you or whatever that told you to be a psychiatrist. I mean, you could have lots of interpretations of it. That, 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 right. was, that was your unconscious, recognizing that's what you should do. So tell us about some examples of experiences um, with you know, your father, your mother, your stepfather, when you thought to yourself that, that if I were a psychiatrist, I could help them or I wish I could help them or something like that. Like, what you, how old were you actually when you did decide and that you were definitely going to do this? Oh, I did. I never thought that as a kid. It was just that one time when I heard that voice. Right. All I thought as a kid was... Uh, I wish they'd stop fighting, or I wish I could help them. I, I, I never thought if I were a psychiatrist I could do it. I just, I just, I would pray that they they would stop fighting. I would pray that somebody would help them, uh, and you know, it, it just it would just get worse. And and so I was I was just thrilled when I got sent away to boarding school. That that's when things turned around, and uh, uh, then my years in in school were. You know, that that's when I found something like stability, and you know, when that's when I came into my own and I was able to achieve things. You know, and and uh, you know. But and, when did and, it actually it, come into your mind that as something serious? Yes, I am going to pursue this. Well, you know, when I was when I was at Harvard, you know, and I and I said, do I want to be a writer? Uh, and my tutor, William Alfred, who was just this wonderful man. At Harvard, in your field of concentration, you get what's called a tutor, and I was lucky enough to, I asked this illustrious professor, you know, will you be my tutor? It's like, will you marry me? Uh-huh. And I really reached high, and, and he said yes. I mean, it's like, wow, my God, yeah. you know, God smiles on me. And so, uh, so we're sitting there, you know, we're talking about literature, and then we're talking about life, and, and I said, you know, should I get a PhD in English? And he said, oh, no, don't do that. You'll end up hating books. 
And, and, and I said, what, I want to be a writer. And he said, well, go to medical school. Huh. And, uh, and then I thought of, well, you know, I did have this idea of being a psychiatrist. And, and I had a cousin who was an orthopedic surgeon. He always said, go to medical school. So I hustled around and took the pre-med courses. And, uh, and you know, he's, and the, my tutor said, you know, a lot of great writers are doctors and it's great medical training, great training for a writer. And, and uh, uh-huh. and that, you know, and, and this... William Alfred, he was such a... I'd come into his house for a tutoring session and Faye Dunaway would be sitting in the living room. You know, he knew because mm. uh, she'd gotten his, her start in his play, Hogan's Goat, or I'd come in, come in another day, Robert Lowell would be sitting in the living room. He had all these wonderful characters in and out of his house. And so it, uh-huh. was, it was a... It was just a wonderfully... But he was so... He was so... It's so wanting to be helpful, and and you know most professors, if you they you said get a PhD in English, they they want you to be just like them, and, and, right. and, and you know, and he he said no, that you're not that type. You 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 want to be in the action. You want to be so, and really it was largely due to him that I you know that old ambition of uh, uh, psychiatry got reactivated, and so off I went to. Uh, um, and 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 it just felt so right. Felt so much better than becoming an academic and getting a PhD in English, and which would have been awful for me. It would have been just terrible. The the logical career path would have been to go to law school because that that's where my brain was best suited, you know. And I could have just walked into Harvard Law School, and then a, today I would be a an unhappy attorney, you know. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. and, uh, but. Thanks to Bill Alfred, I went to medical school, and, and you know the path, uh, the road less taken, worked out really well. And then, but but it was it was you know really finding a way to to bring, and I think my crazy childhood really did equip me to understand people um, much more than my psychiatric training. To understand people who are different than you know, the psychiatric training is good. And really, the best part of the psychiatric training I put in my book, it's sitting with the patients. It's not the book learning. It's not learning the DSM and learning the neuroanatomy. That's all important. I don't mean to poo-poo it, but the real, the real, the real heart of it is is being with these patients, and that's what I. That's what I put in the book. I mean, the the stories of talking to one schizophrenic man when I was saying to him, okay, you don't have to take medication. He's refusing medication. Well, you don't have to take it, but could you tell me why you don't want to take it? And and he said, well, it's personal. It's so personal, even I don't know why. Uh-huh. And, you know, I thought, that what a brilliant answer. That sums yeah. up so much of life, you know. It's so yeah. personal, even I don't know why. And these kinds of things, or, or the patient I, I, I had who liked to sleep in a hole right next to the foundation of the hospital instead of going to a, a group home or something like that. She'd just dig a hole and sleep right next to the foundation mm. of the hospital. Mm. That's, that's, where, that's where she felt secure. I mean, the, the learning that was really done by... The, the, and, the, and another patient I gave my debit card to because she wanted some money and and people said, are you out of your mind? She's yeah. crazy. You can't give it. And, and it worked out wonderfully well. And years later, she came back and said, you know, you're giving me that made 
was more therapeutic than anything else that ever happened yeah, in yeah. this hospital. Because, and, she, and so, because the yeah, Cody trusted I, her, and yeah, 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 and it, and it was. It was all that, and, and that's the second half of the book where I talk about these experiences at this old state hospital, Mass Mental Health Center, that was also a Harvard teaching hospital, so it would combine the, the academic with the, with the state, you know, with the indigent mentally ill, which are the, the most despised people in our society, the most mm-hmm. rejected people in our society, the, the poor mentally ill. Right. Well, I trained at NYU Bellevue. Oh, so you Bellevue. know, it's the same, same population. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, that was... Uh, you know exactly that who was I'm the, talking about. Yeah. <laughs> that was the most yeah. amazing training uh, ever. Yes. That was my... Yes, yes. And so it's, you know, it's the, the psychiatric training. I mean, I think a good psychiatrist comes from... I think you have to be intuitive to begin with to be a good psychiatrist. Yes. And yes. then sitting with the patients, but with good, uh, with, with, in, with incredibly good, um, with special uh, uh, supervision, you know, with, in other words, yes. tutoring or uh, with, uh, by psychiatrists who, you know, who are very gifted and who can help right. you to interpret all of these things in a very right. special kind of way. But yes, right. the pe- I mean, you know, the people who go to psychiatry now, I mean, I, I hate to say it, I, I say it, it's because... I mean, psychiatry has become, it's just mind-blowing how psychiatry has become where psychiatrists do these um, med visits. You know, psychiatry has become being, being a pill pusher. And, oh, it's um, diagnosed and medicated. It's terrible. It's awful. And then, and then if they come back a month later and they're not better, then you throw another prescription at them. Exactly. I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's really... I, the state of psychiatry is just going down the tubes more each year, and while our while our world gets crazier and, and we need psychiatrists, um, right. it is just getting worse and worse. I, I don't do that. I refuse to do mid visits. If somebody wants to come see me as a patient, they have to come for weekly psychotherapy, um, right. and then if they need medicine, of course, I give them medication too. Right. But you don't. So you, you and I medication. like to talk to people, which is yeah. That's, yes. that's what. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Medication doesn't uh, cure anybody. <laughs> right, right. No, I, I, I believe in. I call it the other vitamin C, vitamin connect, and and uh-huh. uh, you know, I, I prescribe connection. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it's uh, you know, and 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 it's all about making a connection. And what people need more than anything is to feel understood. You know, right. and and, uh, and that's what. Uh, that's what my tra- you must be of my vintage. I'm 68. I won't ask you how old you are, but uh, uh, the the training I got was all about uh, forming a connection. You know, finding finding where the patient is and and going there. And the you know the the patient was the textbook. And uh, well, it's and- uh, it's gradually been changing, and of course, it's been changing because of um, insurance and money. I mean, it's right. all about money. Um, right. And uh, it just kind of makes me sad that psychiatrists didn't, more psychiatrists didn't rebel, or, or any psychiatrist didn't rebel and say, no, we're not going to give this kind of treatment to patients. They need mm-hmm. therapy mm-hmm. and uh, some also need medication. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, yeah. But obviously, going back to your memoir, obviously the years of being a child and experiencing these things firsthand, in a sense, sitting with patients even as a child, um, gave you an, a, a sensitivity to all of this. 
Yeah, and it, you know, it could have gone the other way. It could have made me bitter or hardened or, you know, traumatized. You know, the ACE yes. score? Uh, the what? You know, my ACE score is eight, and, and so by rights I should oh, be, uh-huh. you know, dead or marginalized, and and I'm not. And, and I think that that's because I did find connection. I did find friends and teachers and mentors and, and you know, and so and so I was deepened by the the turmoil I grew up in instead of being destroyed by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And for those of you listening, an ACES score is um, uh, the number of childhood traumas that you had from uh, divorce. Adverse to, childhood experiences. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, the the from divorce to you know having one parent with mental illness, no, no less right, two or right. three, uh, those kinds of things. And so, yes, and the higher your score, the more fragile or the more difficult it is for you to come have a successful outcome. And needless to say, um, being you have an, had an incredibly um, successful outcome as the as the um, expert in uh, in ADD and ADHD, and having written twenty books or more than twenty books, and this book. And so on. You've also written another book that um, maybe I'll have you back on, and we'll talk about that one because it actually uh, it's me. Um, you call it crazy busy, <laughs> overstretched, overbooked, and about to snap. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's my day. My days. <laughs> um, so, uh, so obviously you have you're uh, a living proof that um, one can extricate oneself from some of these um, childhood traumas and still have an incredibly successful outcome. Yes, yes, absolutely. So where would you, we're going to be, we're coming to the end, so where would you like people to um, go to, I mean, I presume your book is everywhere, um, but any particular, any particular advice or place you would like them to go? Well, I mean, if you get the book, go to Amazon or any online outlet, uh, and the bookstores have it. Um, and what to take away from it, I think, is just hope, you know, that uh, uh, the notion is no matter what is going on, if you if you seek and find connection, you know, you can overcome really anything. And, and uh, uh, there, there's no such thing as an unsolvable situation. And you just... Continue to reach out, continue to connect, continue to find uh, people that you trust and, and uh, situations where you can, you can find safety and, and then you can thrive. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, instead, of, instead of just kind of closing your eyes and thinking, I'll never, I'll never be able to make anything, I'll never be able to make my dreams come true, I'll never be able right. to make anything myself. And, and actually... We didn't have a chance to, to talk about this, but I just want to mention you had another um, uh, strike against you or another thing to overcome as well, which was that you had ADD and dyslexia. So that, yep. too, um, added to the problems that you overcame to become so incredibly successful. So, Dr. Yep. Edward Halliwell, thank you so much for being on the show. And, again, the book is called Because I Come from a Crazy Family, The Making of a Psychiatrist. So thank, thank you. you so and thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. 
Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat.